Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Now, many of you know that tomorrow is uh, Martin Luther King Day. And in a way to, to honor him, to celebrate what he did, I want to uh, step into our sermon by praying a prayer that he prayed while he was alive. And I think that this prayer that he prayed really speaks to us here in 2022. And so if you will bow with me, I'm going to pray this prayer that the Dr. Martin Luther King prayed. God, we thank you for the inspiration of Jesus. Grant that we will love you with all of our hearts, souls, and minds, and love our neighbors as we love ourselves, even our enemy neighbors. And we ask you, God, in these days of emotional tension, when the problems of the world are gigantic in extent and chaotic in detail, God, that you would be with us in our going out and in our coming in, in our rising up and in our lying down, in our moments of joy and our moments of sorrow, until the day when there shall be no sunset or no dawn. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Now let's welcome Ross as we continue our series, Come Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jeremy. It's good to be with you. You doing well today? So I was hoping, I told some of you, I was hoping that the chairs would be here in time for this week. I keep getting these trickle notifications. You know, we ordered them back in September. Well, the latest notification I got yesterday is saying it's uh, maybe by Easter. <laughs> so they're on a boat. They're on a boat. <laughs> But thank you. As, as Jeremy said, anybody who can help us after service, that'd be great. We don't want anybody to hurt a back, but if you have, the, if you have the, the energy to pick up your chair and take it out to the lobby, that would be great. If you have energy and time to help us more, we're going to have boatloads of pizza and it needs to be eaten, so enjoy. And uh, let's jump into our message. So uh, today, uh, I saw an interview of a famous celebrity who was talking about his struggles with self-worth. Uh, he had learned that success equaled love. So... Uh, he had been on this roller coaster of being depressed, and then he'd have great success and a great event, and he'd feel good, and he used to say, I'd feel good for about 10 minutes, and then I'd find myself quickly back in depression. Until someone told him, you are enough. You don't have to earn your worth. You are enough. And just that statement changed things for him significantly. He now feels more resolved and is worth not being based on what he does, but rather in who he is, that he is enough. And there is some really wonderful beauty in his story. For anyone, whether they know Jesus or not, we want them to know their worth is not based upon their performance. Each person, whether they know God or not, has incredible worth because they are created in the image of God. That said, I've also heard this message shared even within the church in a way that God is not a part of that equation, that we are enough on our own. Now, we are made flawless crowns of God's creation, masterpieces of the Creator. We were meant to live in perfect harmony with God, 
And yet through the fall and sin, we have become distorted, damaged versions of what we're intended to be. We've been described as we're like a glorious cathedral that has been bombed and yet still shows the grandeur, but not like it did at first. Why doesn't it show it? Because we're not enough. Because even on our best days, we will not be enough for our kids, for our friends, for our family. We will consistently fall short. I think Paul's words speak to this concern. He says, don't let others spoil your faith and joy with their philosophies, with their wrong and shallow answers built on men's thoughts and ideas instead of on what Christ has said. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. See, the gospel has two core truths to it. That in myself, I am not enough. And I think we all know that, don't we? We can be told we're enough, but in our failures, in our shortcomings, it never fully sinks home and we never fully believe it. And there's this element of that that's true because of our brokenness. In myself, I am not enough, but in God, I am more than enough, is the other truth of the gospel. We are enough because of the fullness that we have and the salvation that we have through Jesus. And this leads to a thriving life here and in the age to come. Fullness is not beyond our reach. It is already ours in Christ Jesus. We are not enough on our own, but he is. And we are because we are in him as his followers. This fullness of God living on us is the focus for this series we're in. Wendy, Jeremy, and I along with some awesome prayers, sense God inviting us to engage more fully in this season with the Holy Spirit as individuals and as a church to see what God has for us and for our community. We're in this series called Come Holy Spirit, revisiting why on the final night of Jesus' life, he says this. He says, I'm going away, but that's going to make it so much better. Throughout the New Testament, we see God's Holy Spirit indwelling individual, ordinary people in stunningly miraculous ways. The story of the early church cannot be told without the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think we see the early church as the perfect church where all these amazing things happen. However, I think we forget that they were dealing with tons of confusion and difficulty and painful issues and were persecuted based on their ethnicity or their religious beliefs. People were still dying. They still had relational issues, even among the church leaders. Yet there was supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working in them and among them in the reality of their messy lives, and that changed everything. God did not leave us alone, but has given us the person of the Holy Spirit to give us hope and to give our world hope. So the Bible makes it clear that we desperately need the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not a suggestion or an afterthought in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is an essential key to living our faith. Yet, again, it can be difficult to connect with the Holy Spirit because the images are not clear. How do you picture Spirit in a way that helps you see the Holy Spirit as a person of the Trinity? Someone to have a relationship with and not just this ethereal force out there. 
The Bible gives us several clear images of me- or metaphors of the Holy Spirit. The image we're going to focus on today is the image in the, uh, uh, of water that describes the Holy Spirit, which I really believe this can help us see who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit breaks into our world and our lives with a joyful purpose. And I think it's going to tie together Scripture in such a beautiful way that we get to see how amazing Scripture is. To help us see how this metaphor of water, where we were uh, in this teaching today, we were greatly uh, helped by the writings of Tyler Statton and Ray Vanderlaan, along with many others. We just wanted to give those two guys some specific credit because how much their work helped us shape today's message. Now, it may seem confusing, but I think it will make more sense as we jump in. So let's begin with creation again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in this very first verse of Scripture, God was co-creating everything with the Holy Spirit. My question, what do you think of when you think of waters? I don't know, for me, when I think of waters, I typically imagine a beautiful bubbling mountain stream. It's just beautiful, refreshing, and wonderful. But for the ancient world from which this Genesis story came, waters were feared and symbolic of chaos. The most feared gods of the ancient world were the gods of the unexplored dark depths of the sea. Because this early world connected water with chaos, one translation of this verse that we just read goes like this. It says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the chaotic, destructive waters of creation. We also see in the Old Testament, like in Job and Psalm 74 and 99, that water symbolizes chaos, despair, and disorder. So with that in mind, let's examine just a little bit more of this Genesis 1 imagery. The Holy Spirit is hovering, waiting in this creation story, and when the Father gives the word, the Spirit touches the chaos, and out of it comes order. Light is suddenly separated from darkness. Land is separated from sea. But the Holy Spirit is doing more than just organizing chaos. Where there was confusion and disorder, the Holy Spirit replaces it with wonder and joy and beauty and hope. The Holy Spirit doesn't just get rid of the chaos. He brings life. The whole of creation is full of life, and it's beautiful. As the story continues, we see Adam and Eve rebelling against God. For their protection in all of mankind, they must leave the Garden of Eden at God's command, and they walk east, the text says. The entrance to the garden, the east entrance to the garden, the text says, was guarded by angelic beings with swords preventing people from getting back to the tree of life. And throughout Scripture, this going east remains a biblical metaphor for moving away from God and His presence. We see that understanding in both the tabernacle and the temple, for instance. They were always set up so that people would move from east to west. This is how you approached God. The symbolism is rich. You started in the easternmost part of the temple with the altar of sacrifice for forgiveness, and then you moved to the water for cleansing and eventually to the holy place, always moving from east to west. When Jesus came into Jerusalem to be a sacrifice on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, he came in through the east gate. 
He came from the east to the west to bring his life to us, which is where we live. We live in the east. Jesus has made it possible for the kingdom of God to break into our world, and yet we still live in the east. Our world has more chaos and more dysfunction than it has peace. God's kingdom breaks into our world, but it's not nearly perfect yet. What's interesting is that even though the water was used as a symbol for fear and the unknown, in the Bible, water is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit, as seen in the poetry of the Psalms and Proverbs, the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel, as well as in the New Testament and John. And one of the most vivid descriptions of the Holy Spirit's presence in water is seen in Ezekiel's prophecy. Now, we're going to read this whole passage and realize it's kind of long, but I think it's important to read it in its entirety. So maybe it would be helpful for you to either read along, it will be on the screens, or actually for some of you, maybe all of you, it might be really helpful just to close your eyes and allow your imagination to picture what Ezekiel is saying. Ezekiel is describing a vision that God is giving him. And he writes, The man brought me, this angelic being, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the side of the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through the water, which was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits, and he led me through the water, and now it was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to my waist. And he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, Son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, The water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. And swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from the Engedi to Engeli, and how do we say that? There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Yet fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Can you picture this? A little trickle of water starts going east from the temple in the direction Adam and Eve walked out of the Garden of Eden when they sinned, east, the direction that represents our human condition of death and chaos. And this little trickle of water 
becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, overflowing, bringing life wherever it goes, fruitful trees of all kinds of fish and leaves for healing wherever the river goes. This river reminds me of the one described in the Garden of Eden, a river flowing from the west through the garden to the outlying lands. And this river, Ezekiel describes, comes out of the temple and empties into the Dead Sea. And if you, if you understand the Dead Sea, nothing lives in the Dead Sea. It's ten times saltier than, the, the, than seawater, making it unlivable for any living thing. And this powerful river from the west pours into the Dead Sea, making it come alive. What once was lifeless is now full of life. And that water is the Holy Spirit. God is saying, I'll pour out my spirit and it will be an unstoppable presence of life and peace. What makes this vision even more powerful is that it was written to a people who were captured and forced to live in exile in Babylon, whose city and temple had been destroyed who their whole life they thought was over as they knew it. They were completely disheartened. And God, through Ezekiel, is telling them that a river of hope and life was coming into the reality of their suffering. We see Ezekiel being invited by God to come into the river. At first, again, the water's ankle deep, then knee deep, then waist deep, and then he could swim in it. It was a river that became too deep not to be swept away in its current. It was a mighty, powerful, life-giving river. And God invited Ezekiel, the Jews, and God invites you and I to come into this river, a river that brings healing to you and to our world, a river that brings order where there is fear and confusion, a river that brings life to the darkest places in us and our world. As we continue in the New Testament, we see the Spirit in Jesus. And watch what Jesus does with the prophecy of Ezekiel. In John John 7, 37, it begins by saying, On the last and greatest day of the festival. Now, we'll put a pin right there. We'll come back to it in a moment. Jesus is going to do something that is shocking, scandalous, and dangerous for him to do. And yet, to understand how scandalous and dangerous it was has to do with the last day of the festival. And this festival is the Festival of the Tabernacles, or Sukkot. It's a week-long festival, remembering God's deliverance and protection and provision and faithfulness during the 40-year journey of the Israelites in the wilderness coming out of Egypt to the Promised Land. This festival had all the Jews travel to Jerusalem and where the entire family would camp in tents or dwellings, which gave tangible way to remember what it was like for the Israelites to live in the desert and how God provided them. But these tents also reminded them of the larger tent, the tabernacle of God's presence dwelling with them. Now, the Jews continue to practice this today. On your screen, you see uh, where, the, where the family makes a tent and sleep outside. And you see the right picture is an example of Hasidic Jews getting ready for fest- the festival in New York City. The left is what Sukkot looks like in the Jerusalem and around Israel today. Because the festival took place at the end of the dry season, the Jews lived in a dry country, completely dependent upon the rain for food. They prayed for rain as part of their festival. And they had a water rite where at the first day, a succession of priests gather water for the seven days for the festival from the Pool of Siloam, which you'll remember is in some of other Jesus' stories recorded in the New Testament, whose source comes from a spring of living water. 
Then the priests bring the water to the temple. And the Talmud describes the festival as a huge celebration that if you have never witnessed this drawing of water, you have never seen true joy in your life. On the last day, people are everywhere. Golden candlesticks with huge light display. There was dancing, singing praises, music, harps, cymbals, trumpets, and more. And the people are all at the steps of the temple. So now let's get back to Jesus in the text. So getting back to the text, the people are gathered and Jesus is there and the water rite reaches its climax. The priests circle the temple seven times and then they pour out the water with great pomp and circumstance on the steps of the temple. This was a holy moment they'd been building up to. Tears would have been welling up in the eyes of some as they long for God to bring more to their lives, for God to fulfill his prophecy. Many may be remembering the prophecy of Ezekiel, how this river of life would flow east out of the temple. Because this specific day is called Hoshana Rabbah, which means save now, the people are echoing this prayer, God, save us now. And at this moment of the pouring out of the water is when it is believed this text happened. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He just lays it out there. And you can actually see why the Jewish leaders want to kill him because of statements like this. Jesus is declaring that he is the creator. He is Messiah. And he invites them to come to drink of this living water, the river of life you long for. The Apostle John clarifies that by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, John makes clear that Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit where he gave this invitation to living water, but says it's not quite yet, right? When did they receive the promise of the Holy Spirit? It says, and Jesus was resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven. And then, but this is what was uttered, it says, through the prophet Joel. This is when the Spirit was poured out in Acts 2. And, the, and, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out, again, he's using water language, my spirit on all flesh. The spirit is poured out like water. And who is filled with the spirit? All people. Everyone who wants it. Everyone who says, I cannot make this chaos and dysfunction of life work. I need you, God, and I choose to follow you, God. We see in verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Drink this water that will overflow the banks of your life and bring healing to you and the world around you. When we see the early church doing what Ezekiel's vision described, this is what we see. The church fed the hungry. They healed the sick. They proclaimed good news to those around them. And finally, we see the river of life most fulfilled at the end of the book of John's Revelation. In the book of Revelation, it says this, Then the angel showed up, showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of its street of the city, also on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Sound familiar? 
kind of the same words Ezekiel used, had in the vision, what he saw in the vision, to describe the life of God, the Holy Spirit, flowing through you and me forever. It's amazing. Scripture is amazing. I consistently stand amazed at the perfection of God seen in the Bible. How he is weaving his story through so many details that show us the intricate intricate detail of the life he wants to bring to us. That one day all chaos and disease and pain will be gone. Yet today we still live in the east where there's more chaos than order. But we're invited into this life-giving river of the Holy Spirit, which is flowing and coming to us. See, here's the invitation God gives. The first invitation of this, what we talked about today, is just simply this. Come. Enter the water. Don't be a spectator looking on from the bank of the river. Get in. Maybe start with going in as far as your, your ankle or knee or waist deep. Maybe you're really bold and you just want to jump all in just like a kid on a hot summer day just wants to get all the way in right away. And maybe you're one who doesn't like the idea of swimming. But it's a powerful, powerful image to help us understand more of what it is like to be led by the Holy Spirit, led by this powerful current of this river that's large, bigger than us, and it brings life wherever it goes. You can fight against the current. You can do that. But how much more fun is it to go with the flow of the current? I mean, there's so much variety in the river and water. It can be fast. It can be slow. You often don't know what's around the next bend. And that's, there's definitely an element of the Holy Spirit where we have to deal with the unknown that we can't control, that we don't know. But isn't that what faith is about? Trusting God with everything you have and just going where he's going? And isn't that worth it? Imagine Jesus coming right now into our room and saying, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Come swim in the river. Maybe you're hesitant. Maybe you're thinking, I want to figure this out a little bit more. I want to understand a little bit more about this before I put my feet in the water. I understand that hesitancy. I've struggled with that hesitancy. I get it. I was reading uh, this week a discussion Martin Luther King Jr. had with the leadership of Ghana Ghana, as they were, um, Ghana, you know, whatever. That city's just south of us here. Leadership of Ghana in their transition of trying to become a new nation where oppressed people were just beginning to have the opportunity to become free. And I was struck by the statement MLK made when he was questioned about whether Ghana would be able to make the transition. MLK said this, he said, I often feel like saying, when I hear the question, people aren't ready, that it's like telling a person who's trying to swim, don't jump in that water until you learn how to swim when actually you will never learn how to swim until you get in the water. And he goes on and says, I think people have to have an opportunity to develop themselves and govern themselves. The best way to make a change is to jump in and swim. That's how we learn. 
We don't wait until we have everything figured out and we're comfortable with everything. We know where the river's going and all that stuff before we practice following the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus knew we needed the Holy Spirit more than being with him face to face. When we invite the Holy Spirit more into our lives, we are reminded that following God is much more than following a set of beliefs. We are following a person. We experience the person of God. And we continue to stay firm and grow in understanding the Bible. After all, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. But we also learn to practice the presence and the following of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives in the river of the Holy Spirit. The second invitation I think this text makes is that we've talked about today is to become. We come and allow God's Spirit to bring more healing to our lives and we become changed people. And where we get to be more a part of bringing God's life to other people as well. Remember we talked about this last week? It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are a temple if you are a follower of Jesus. The source of the river is within you. The same spirit that brought order to chaos lives in you, is guiding you, is healing you, and that same spirit sends you out to bring peace and life to other people. We saw this in the other church. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, it says, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were ordinary people. Peter, who fearfully denied he knew Jesus, now after receiving the Holy Spirit, he's proclaiming Jesus boldly before the authorities who could put him to death. That is becoming. That is change. The church grew because ordinary people became healed and brought life to others. No matter how messed up we are, we are all candidates to be used by the Holy Spirit. Our failures do not disqualify us from the Holy Spirit. In fact, God often uses our wounds and our weakness to help bring healing to the wounds of others. We get to be a part of the healing process before we are fully healed and whole. To any dead place in our lives, the Holy Spirit brings life. If you're insecure, then God's Spirit helps you become more confident so that you can lead others to not hide, but rather invite them to live more fully. If you are full of anger and blow up easily, God's Spirit helps you become more self-controlled and invite others into greater transformation as well. If you are anxious, God's Spirit helps you become a peaceful, non-anxious presence in the lives of those around you and in your family and at your work. Every place we experience healing, we get to help and we're asked by God to help pass that along through the power of the Holy Spirit to others. Let's give some space now. Worship team, come on back up. Let's give some space now for the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us, okay? Where do you need God to bring peace? Where there's confusion and chaos in your life. What are you really thirsty for?
you're really longing for this in life? Is there an area you need, you need healing physically? Is there, is there emotionally you need something to change? Is there something spiritually needs to change? See, God cares. Sometimes healing is immediate and sometimes he brings it slowly. Both ways, by his presence, by his spirit, he brings healing. Is there an area of your life that the Holy Spirit is highlighting saying, hey, you've gotten some healing here? And I want you to bring that life I've given you more intentionally to others. Where's the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we just pray, come Holy Spirit. Because we can talk about you till we're blue in the face. It's really about experiencing you and knowing you. About understanding your presence with us. About understanding this great gift that is deposited within us when we follow you. This great gift that you, you ask us to pray every day for a, a filling of your spirit, for a greater awareness of your spirit, for a greater understanding of how you are with us every day. So, Lord, we just pray, come Holy Spirit, and that you would meet each and every one of us right where we're at. You'd help us to see in this moment, later today, tomorrow, this week, your Spirit's presence with us. Lord, that you'd teach us to give up our striving of fighting against the current and to just rest in your powerful current. Come, Holy Spirit. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.